morning, sir. How are you? All good. How did you cope in the heat? Oh dear, with enormous amount of resilience, plenty of water, lots of fan, fanning. I thought you would love it. I thought you'd be out there digging a trench and sowing seeds and I don't know, cutting a piece of wood. I must just do this while the sun is cooking you at 40 degrees. I've still got your um, your song from last week, Clem's Night. Oh, you've been listening to it, have you? Yeah. It's from a TV show that I first heard it. It was, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It might have caught it on the odd channel Four, The Good Wife. So it's basically like mirroring the idea of like Hillary Clinton standing by Bill. Oh, okay. But it's at like the governor level. And yeah, there's seven seasons. Anyway, in the final season, there's an episode where she's basically being dragged along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting there and she just like wants to zone out and she puts that the earphones in and she plays that song and it just oh. works. You know, like in the it's in the right moment. You're like, yeah, no one's more happy than you. <laughs> Fabulous. I like it. And then the new Wakanda Forever trailer I just watched. I shed a tear, Desmond. And it didn't, I don't know if you, I know you know nothing, right? So do you know who Chadwick Boseman is? The actor? No. If I got you a picture, you'd say, oh, him, right? So basically, <laughs> he was the Black He was the black Panther. So you know this Marvel, they've all got special superhero powers and so on and so on. Okay. So the film Black Panther, when it came out in 2018, was the first black superhero to be released, so on and so on. And I don't think anyone expected it to do as well as it did. And the music at Des is wicked. I'm sure, Chart, log into my Disney Plus and watch it. See what you think. It's very good. It's very clever because what you've got is this idea of the country called Wakanda, mm-hmm. which is basically the most advanced civilization on earth, but they've hidden themselves away, like in the middle of Africa. And there's all sorts of like, Exactly. You can imagine, obviously, it's a you know fantastical world, but you know, you can imagine the dynamics at play. Anyway, mm-hmm. the main character, who's the Black Panther and got all his special powers and stuff, the actor mm-hmm. that played him died, Chadwick Boseman. But there is the sequel coming out. So it looks like they've actually woven the idea of him passing away into the film. And it's got the cast is fabulous, this. Like there's mm-hmm. one scene, the 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 bodyguards of the the king are all women a bit like Gaddafi's uh women soldiers he used to have right but these ones are gangster you don't mess with them in one scene the woman's got a weave on to be in disguise and she's got this massive spear that she can collapse into like a small thing anyway she's like forget this and she grabs the weave and she throws it as part of the fight scene You need to see her. Oh, then she is fighting with a rhino. Like it's there's it's too, it's very well done. Anyway, the second one is looked very emotional. This is yeah. this this is all been out or coming out soon. Coming it's, soon. Uh, uh, I don't actually. I didn't see the date because it's what they call the teaser trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sh- I tell you what, I can show it to you. I like it. I'm sure you you know you don't like any of these films, do you? No, it's you not know. so much like. Have you seen any of them? No. Maybe I this is the. I don't know what I'm, to start I'm you off really on. Bad. I've just never watched films, to be honest. That's part of the problem. 
I'm not a really film. I'm trying to think if there's one of them that has a sport in it. You said to me, you know, who won the 1920 Olympics? I'd probably say, yeah, but if you said, nah, who featured in King Kong? Do you know the sequel? I would say, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm not aware of this. I'm not article. aware of it. No woman, no cry. Oh, it's one. Yes. I've, I've seen it. Oh my God. No woman, no cry. Good friends we have and good friends we've lost along the way. And when I wake up, November. Okay, I'm excited. Um, Charlie was is... telling me something to do with an Eddie Murphy spin-off or something. No, no, no that was coming to America too. That's right. That's I what you've said. seen that one. Oh uh, no, I've not seen it, but he was just telling me that a little bit back. You've seen I've, Coming I've to seen, America though. I've seen Trail Trail. No, I've never watched it. I've just you've never seen watched Coming trailer. to America. Oh, mm. there's. Mm-hmm. Okay, I challenge thee. You that you have to, yeah. How you cannot go through life and not have seen, yeah. Coming to America. I'll have to coming do that. to America. I'm one of my favorite lines: "The royal penis is clean, your highness." <laughs> Just bear with me. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget it. All right, let's edit your clips. Coming to America. I'll put it in my list. Arsenio Hall as well. Oh, him, yeah. Arsene Logan. Arsene Logan. <laughs> That's what I call him. Right, are you ready okay. for I'm ready, Dave. show number 70? Oh. Fabulous. Right. to this week's Des and Dave. In America this week, a 10-year-old rape victims will be forced to carry babies when abortion is, Ill- is illegal, no matter what. Proud Boys would have killed Pence if they found him. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon found guilty of refusing to testify to the January 6th panel. Did James Murray 
Donald Trump's appointed director of the U.S. Secret Service, do a service for Trump by overseeing all the deletions of the Secret Service text messages on January the 5th and 6th. And former Georgia election worker says false claims have affected her life in a major way. The last and final part. And in other news, the conservative leadership contest is down to the final two. Either Rishi Dishi Sunak or Liz Please Trust Me will be our next prime minister. Is there a box for vote for none of the above? The United Kingdom divorce bill from the European Union could rise 4.2 billion, according to the Treasury, as part of the Brexit deal. And an eight-year-old boy, Harry Pesca, will ride 1,100 miles over 34 days to raise 5,000 pounds for Tiggy Winkles, a wildlife hospital that looks after his favourite animals, hedgehogs. All this and more on this week's Des and Dave. The ripe old age of 70 deaths. Very good, very good. <laughs> We're there, Dave. We're absolutely there. We're both collecting our pensions. Yeah. Um, Not with the cost of living increase, I may add, but anyway, different story for another time. <laughs> yes, the cost of living increase. Well, we have a rather tragic story to begin the week with, and it's... Uh, a 10-year-old rape victims will be 10-year-old rape victims rather will be forced to carry babies when abortion is illegal and no matter what is the headline and we've got a 27-year-old man who's confessed to raping a 10-year-old child twice he was arrested charged and convicted now some people may argue that this is what republicans want but sure enough, this is what happens when you overturn Roe v. Wade. If you're over six weeks pregnant, you can't get an abortion in Ohio and many other Republican states in the US. 
Republicans know that to be true, Republicans rather know that to be true. And Eric Swalwell, who's the Democratic congressman, drove that point home at a House Judiciary Committee hearing, questioning a Republican anti-abortion witness. Ms. Foster, do you think a 10-year-old would choose to carry? Um, uh, in a in 10-year-old case, first of all, the Ohio... You know, my, my question is, would a 10-year-old choose to carry a baby? In the Ohio case, the, uh, the Ohio you, Attorney would a, would a General said that choose, abortion no, would have been justified. Focus on the question, please. Would a 10-year-old choose to carry a baby? Um, I, I, I cannot... Do you think a 10-year-old should choose to carry a baby? I believe it would probably impact her her life, and so therefore it would fall under any exception and would not be an abortion. Wait, it would not be an abortion if a 10-year-old with her parents made the decision not to have a baby that was a result of a rape? If a 10-year-old became pregnant as a result of rape and it was uh, threatening her life, then that's not an abortion. So it would not fall under any abortion restriction in our nation. Ms. Warbelow, um, are you familiar with disinformation? Uh, yes, I am. Did you just hear some disinformation? Uh, yes, I heard some very significant disinformation. Why don't you tell me about uh, that? Yes, an, an abortion is a procedure. It's a medical procedure um, that individuals undergo for a wide range of circumstances, um, including uh, because they have been sexually assaulted, uh, raped in the case of the 10-year-old. Um, it doesn't matter whether or not um, there is a statutory exemption. It is still a medical procedure that is understood to be an abortion. Uh, beyond that, I think it's also important to note that there is no exception. Um, for the life or the health of the mother in the Ohio law. That's why that 10-year-old had to cross state lines in order to receive an abortion. How many others we don't know about this? This is just the tip of the iceberg. But this is the, G this is the GPO, GOP, rather, GPO, GOP position now. They're forced to make a 10-year-old child give birth after being raped. The Attorney General of Indiana says he is now investigating the doctor who treated the 10-year-old rape victim. He said, this is the Attorney General of Indiana, said, we are gathering the evidence as we speak to prosecute the doctor who provided the abortion. Now, Dr. Jennifer Conti, who's an obstetrician, Obstetrician. Obstetrician. Thank you, Dave. Gynecologist talks about the bizarre contortions abortion opponents are putting themselves through to ignore reality as the painful cruelty of abortion bans becomes clear to the American public in examples like child rape. She addresses the point made by the anti-abortion witness who claimed that the medical procedure of an abortion does not count as an abortion in certain cases. And uh, we've got Dr. Jennifer Conte's comments. Well, thank you for having me on. I think that I've watched and rewatched that clip countless times today because the mental gymnastics that these people are doing in their head in order to justify what is and isn't an abortion is just insane. Um, and I can tell you as, as an abortion provider, as someone who cares for people needing abortion, that story out of Ohio is not one of a kind. Young people, children need abortions sometimes so that they can keep on being children. And you know, you may try to deny it, but 
but it happens because of all the different ways that we systemically fail people in this country. Um, I, like many of my colleagues who are trained in complex family planning, have cared for young pregnant girls seeking abortion. And we would absolutely provide the exact same care that Dr. Bernard provided this child in Ohio, because unlike some legislators, we don't cherry pick who we help. The point there being they have the abortion, the children have, so that they can continue to keep on being children. Yeah. I mean, how can you have a 10-year-old bring up a baby? I just think that, I don't know if it's irony, Desmond, or just stupidity, but this is the country that advocates that, you know, to bear your arms and have your guns. Who are you fighting? But, you know, we can kill each other with our guns, but heaven forbid we... (laughs) We can kill children more readily. Yeah, yeah, we need yeah. people to kill, so let them grow up. Gosh. Just, I think it's interesting the way she says that you know the people do that we fail people in the country. There's so many more other issues to worry about. Now, has an interesting. If, if, if abortions, if, if men could get pregnant, you'd be able to get an abortion in McDonald's. Like, you know what I mean? It, yes. it would be that fast and easy. Yes, and I'd agree with that. That's what would would happen. But there's an interesting little twist on this, by the way. Joe Biden has made an executive decision to enable women to leave effectively Republican states um, and uh, cross the border into Democrat states to enable them to have an abortion. The Republicans in their states now have decided to challenge that decision and have declared that they will prosecute any citizens of their state that crosses into another state to obtain an abortion, as well as those people who've, who have supported their, um, their, 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 their journey. Um, Will that work? Because they're going into another jurisdiction. It's like Scotland arguing it's going to prosecute people that do something in England, but they can't because it happened in England. Well, as yet, it's not been tested, but it clearly just creates yet another layer of complication into, you know, young women who may be already distressed over their abortion needs. It's incredible that they're prepared to do that. Democrats are hoping that they continue with their, this policy because they're going to be using it during the the autumn period um, as a and weaponizing this to enable them to maybe turn the house over. Can you imagine if they ended up with like how many seats are up in the Senate? A third, so it's thirty yeah. odd seats, right? Yeah, yeah. So. So not that it would happen completely, but can you imagine, you know, 25 of them turning Democrat? Go on then, filibuster all you like, because guess what? It don't work now. We've got more than 67. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So many crazy things happening. Um, But we had the uh, eighth hearing and the eighth and presumably the final hearing for the time being. No, 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 Des, it was the season hiatus episodes. 
this was the, this was the teaser before we return in September for the second part. Like, yeah, this was the the season hiatus episode. What it was, <laughs> well, I thought we probably ought to narrate this little bit through the the eyes of the January sixth committee vice chair, and give her an opportunity to um to probably just highlight some of the things that took place or were going to take place during the course of the hearing. So Liz Cheney is going to uh, address us and give us a little taster of what has and hasn't been done and what is going on and what the this at least this hearing is all about. Donald Trump's own White House counsel, his own White House staff, members of his own family, all implored him to immediately intervene to condemn the violence and instruct his supporters to stand down, leave the Capitol, and disperse. For multiple hours, he would not. Yeah. You know, Commander-in-Chief, you got an assault going on on the Capitol of the United States of America. response statement, public statement that people need to leave the Capitol now. I, I was disturbed and worried to see that the president was attacking uh, Vice President Pence for doing his constitutional duty. So the tweet looked to me like the opposite of what what we really needed at that moment, which was a de-escalation. Uh, and uh, that's why I, I had said earlier that it looked like fuel being poured on the fire. Did you believe that the tweets were not anything about your advice to the president? No, I believe more needed to be done. But that there were calls to um, say goodbye to family members, so on and so forth. It was getting, for whatever the reason was on the ground, the BPPTL thought that this was about to get very ugly. Um, uh, saw my, heard my phone ringing, turned the shower off, saw it was leader uh, McCarthy, who I had a good relationship with. Uh, he told me he was getting really ugly over at the Capitol and said, please, you know, anything you could do to help, I would appreciate it. Uh, I don't recall specific asks, just anything you could do. The, again, I got the sense that, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were scared. Was there any discussion about the president releasing a second video that day? Not that I recall. When, the, when he finished his video, I think everyone was like, day's over. People were pretty drained. He told the people who we had just watched storm our nation's capital with the intent on overthrowing our democracy, violently attack police officers, and chant heinous things like hang Mike Pence. We love you. You're very special. And as a spokesperson for him, I knew that I would be asked to defend that. And to me, his refusal to act and call off the mob that day and his refusal to condemn the violence was indefensible. What happened at the Capitol cannot be justified in any form or fashion. It was wrong and it was tragic and, a lot, and, 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 and it was a terrible day. It was a terrible day for this country. Donald Trump knows that millions of Americans who supported him would stand up and defend our nation were it threatened. They would put their lives and their freedom at stake to protect her. And he is preying on their patriotism. Oh, what, what's been rather interesting is 
if you've noticed this, most of the evidence has been really drawn out by Adam Kersinger and Liz Cheney. Yes. The Democrats yes. have spoken, like, don't get me wrong, on the rest of the panel, but like they've extracted a lot of this juicy testimony. And that was a really good compilation of the different variety of things in there. But there's so much, it's so dense. Like, yeah. And they, they've said that lots of people are still coming forward and telling their stories. And from what I hear, it's a lot of Republican staffers that are reading the writing on the wall thinking, I'm not getting entangled in this. Look what's happened to Bannon. They're, they don't want to go down that road. So now they're all squeaking. Yeah. There's a bit in there that reminds me of a comment you made just before we began our program, where you, you talked about the calls to say goodbye to their families by senators and congressmen. They were but calling... also by the secret service that were looking after Pence. <laughs> Crazy. And also you spoke about this incident with Josh Hawley. Well, yeah, sadly we can't play that clip because it's more a visual, but he was the one of people remember the senator that fist bumped the January 6th rioters, the mob, the insurrectionists. And then they cut to a clip of him running out of the Senate chamber and, you know, down the hallway. And it's already been mashed up on all the internet with various uh, musical backgrounds, the Scooby-Doo music, <laughs> Benny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> but and the funniest thing is I've forgotten the guy's name, but it's the Capitol Police officer. He's no longer a police officer. I think he got too many injuries, but he's one of the, one of the ones survivors. that, you know, is heavily involved, one of the survivors from the day. And he was asked to give comment, I don't remember, on CNN or one of the one of the other news channels. And he said, well, I, my instant reaction is, Josh Hawley's a pussy. <laughs> well, it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. It's appropriate. It's, it's absolutely appropriate. But I tell you what struck me uh, about that collation, collection of, and, and it must be remembered, these are all the people that spoke during the course of that audio recording were all Trump aides. They were yeah. Trump staffers, people that worked closely with him. And what really struck me was the, the, um, um, the, the, the change in the tone. The, some of them spoke very angrily. Some spoke in hushed tones. Um, some were so, uh, this is how I've interpreted the, the, the you know, the, the projection of their voices was, was spoke with a degree of shame about what had taken place and their involvement in all of it. Um, and I, 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 that struck me more than most. It was, and some spoke very defiantly, you know, I was not going to be, continue to be a part of this when I saw what was happening. Um, and that was uh, that was said with some some force by a number of people, and that's what struck me. It's the hushed, almost whispering, because the the remorse and shame they felt over their involvement in it all. Um, so, but then that moves us nicely on to. Um, Before you go there, just mm -hmm. Bannon, Steve Bannon. You, finally, okay. finally, he's been held, had his day in court. Okay. 
and most people won't know, but he argues a lot with, you know, I'm going to go medieval on them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Anyway, they had all their arguments thrown out before they even had the trial. And what I love is how fast the jury turned it around. It was like, yeah. yes, not because it was a very simple question. Did you receive the subpoena and did you refuse to attend? <laughs> it was as simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> Guilty. Sadly, he's going to be sentenced in November. Yeah. No, and October. He, yep. And he faces up to two years in prison. And it will be contempt of Congress charges. But he's indicated that he's going to appeal, Dave. Um, and uh, that could be rather uh, long, could take as long as a year, maybe, for the appeal to go, you know, to be progressed. But um, yes, you're right. Um, they, the, the, the federal court jury deliberated for less than three hours, I think, and they found him guilty last Friday on two counts. Um, but, you know, they didn't even rise as the jury foreperson read the two verdicts. And the, um, the U.S. District uh, Court judge, who was a Trump appointee, Carl Nichols, um, who presided over the trial, he didn't bother to instruct them to stand. Um, but, oh. but as soon as, this is the wonderful thing about Bannon. In court, to use somebody, the police officer's um, description of Josh Hawley, he was actually a pussy. Yeah. But outside the court, he had everything to say. He basically repeated all the things that he, he said in the courtroom, which the judge had dismissed. He repeated it outside in an aggressive way and in a defiant way and with the conviction that he will win. But the thing is, we've heard the testimony and his response. He didn't respond to anything in court. Um, and as you said, the jurors um, were told that this was a simple case about Bannon's refusal to comply with the subpoena from the January 6th Select Committee, um, and they'd unsuccessfully sought tests, his testimony and his records. He still hasn't produced the records, and he still hasn't given the testimony. It's all right. We've got the recordings, Des, where he confesses to everything and explains exactly what Trump's going to do, absolutely. and then that's exactly what then played out. Yeah, absolutely. So, well... It's all right. He's on tape. They don't, this is the greatest thing. Like, with 21st century, Des, you don't need your little cassette dictaphone anymore. <laughs> absolutely true. But then that moves us nicely on to the Proud Boys would have killed Pence if they found him. And this is one member of the... Uh, Angular said at the um, at this January six. So we'll play part one. Mr. Jacob, you were there, seeing that for the first time. Does it surprise you to see how close the mob was to the evacuation route that you took? The forty feet is a distance from me to you, roughly. I could hear the din of the rioters in the building while we moved, but. I don't think I was aware that they were as close as that. Make no mistake about the fact that the vice president's life was in danger. 
A recent court filing by the Department of Justice explains that a confidential informant from the Proud Boys told the FBI that the Proud Boys would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. This witness, whom the FBI affidavit refers to as W1, stated that other members of the group talked about things they did that day, and they said that anyone they got their hands on, they would have killed, including Nancy Pelosi. W1 further stated that members of the Proud Boys said that they would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. We understand that congressional leaders and others were evacuated from the Capitol complex during the attack. We'd like to show you what happened after the vice president was evacuated from the Senate. The select committee has obtained never before seen photos from the National Archives that show Vice President Pence sheltering in a secure underground location as rioters overwhelmed the Capitol. At 419 PM, Vice President Pence is seen looking at a tweet the president had just sent, a tweet asking the rioters to leave the Capitol. After four and a half hours spent on working to restore order, the vice president returned to the Senate floor to continue the certification of electors. So Vice President Pence was a focus of the violent attack. Mr. Jacob, did the vice president leave the Capitol complex during the attack? He did not. Can you please explain why the vice president refused to leave the Capitol complex? When we got down to the secure location, Secret Service directed us to get into the cars, um, which I did. Um, and then I noticed that the vice president had not. So I got out of the car that I had gotten, gotten into, um, and I understood that the vice president had refused to get into uh, the car. Um, the, the, Head of his Secret Service detail, Tim, had said, I assure you we're not going to drive out of the building without your permission. And the vice president had said something to the effect of, Tim, I know you, I trust you, but you're not the one behind the wheel. And the vice president did not want to take any chance that um, the world would see the vice president of the United States fleeing the United States Capitol. He was determined that we would complete the work that we had um, set out to do that day, that it was his constitutional duty to see through, um, and that the rioters who had breached the Capitol would not have the satisfaction of um, disrupting the proceedings beyond the day on which they were supposed to be completed. Let me see if I understand this right. You were told to get in the cars, and how many of Vice President's staff got in the cars while he did not. Most of us. During our investigation, we received testimony that while the Vice President was in a secure location within the Capitol complex, he continued the business of government. We understand that the Vice President reached out to congressional leaders, like the Acting Secretary of Defense and others, to check on their safety and to address the growing crisis. In addition, the Vice President's Chief of Staff, Mark Short, made several calls to senior government officials. Here's Mr. Short's testimony regarding his call with Representative Kevin McCarthy. He indicated that uh, 
he had had some conversation. I don't recall whether it was the, with the president or with somebody at the White House, but I think he he expressed uh, frustration that uh, um, not taking the circumstances as seriously as they should at that moment. All right. So Mr. McCarthy indicated he'd been in touch with someone at the White House and he conveyed to you that they weren't taking this as seriously as they should. You have, yes. to, you have to answer yes, yes. or no. Yes. Okay. While the vice president made several calls to check on the safety of others, it was his own life that was in great danger. Mr. Jacob, did Donald Trump ever call the vice president to check on his safety? He did not. Mr. Jacob, how did Vice President Pence and Mrs. Pence react to that? With frustration. In order to ask that question, you actually know what he was going to say at the end. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And really, Dave, that was it, wasn't it, really? Did, that was such a key question. Did the president ever phone you during that entire period to find out how you were? Well, he did use his phone about Mike Pence to tweet about him. <laughs> what a what a wonderful way to conduct business. What an absolute wonderful way to conduct business. Well, basically, kill kill my deputy. Absolutely, kill him dead. Well, we we move on to perhaps uh, perhaps the next most important issue, which is did James Murray who was Donald Trump's appointed director of the US Secret Service, do a service for Trump by overseeing all the deletions of the Secret Service text messages. The Secret Service employees received three separate notifications instructing them to preserve communications before an agency-wide, um, they call it technology, technology replacement program, went into effect in the week after the January 6 attacks. The first email about preserving records came on December the 9th, 2020, from the Secret Service Office of Strategic Planning. And the second was in January from the agency's chief information officer through this, though the source did not provide the exact date, but they said it was in January, 2021. Employees then received a further, a third email on January the 4th, instructing them to preserve all communications specific to January the, the 6th. And it was James Murray's responsibility to ensure that all Secret Service texts sent or received on January the 6th were preserved. And he did not do that. Trump personally chose James Murray as a Secret Service director over a 10-minute interview. Now, there is a serious problems at the Secret Service and the director of the Secret Service facing the worst suspicion in the history of the Secret Service. He says, has said nothing. And I think we, well, many believe that he should be subpoenaed and forced to testify under oath. He is leaving the Secret Service, apparently, at the beginning of September, um, where he's going to be taking a new job working for a company. Snapchat. 
Snapchat. Yes, that's head of security for Snapchat. Yeah. But if you're Joe Biden currently sitting in the White House, don't you think like these are the guys that are meant to protect me? Like, yeah, it just. Yes, Dave. The answer is yes. I take your point. Precisely. I mean, and and actually, you, you have to ask a rather serious question. They should have been the target of for um, for for uh, for removal as soon as he became the president yeah immediately i mean you know it's it's and in fact two of the people who sit as um with quite substantial responsibility as secret service agents were both trump appointee and certainly one of them, Ornado, um, the the belief is that he really has very poor credentials for doing the job in the first instance. And he's the man at the centre of, uh, did um, he inform um, another of Trump's aides that um, Trump tried to place his hand on the wheel of the Secret Service agent who told him that he can't take him to the... It's it's messy. It's absolutely messy. So we've got a further clip for you about the notorious Proud Boys asking the same question. Would they have killed Pence if they found him? Mr. Jacob, immediately before you and the vice president were evacuated to a secure location within the Capitol, you hit send on an email to John Eastman explaining why his legal theory about the vice president's role was wrong. You ended your email by stating that, quote, thanks to your bullshit, we are now under siege. We'll take a look at that email. Dr. Eastman replied, and this is hard to believe, but his reply back to you was, the siege is because you and your boss presumably referring to the vice president of the United States, did not do what was necessary to allow this to be aired in a public way so the American people can see for themselves what happened. Mr. Jacob, later that day, you wrote again to Dr. Eastman. Let's show that email on the screen. In that email, you wrote, and I quote, did you advise the president that in your professional judgment, the vice president does not have the power to decide things unilaterally. And you ended that email saying, it does not appear that the president ever got the memo. Dr. Eastman then replied, he's been so advised. And he ends his email with, quote, but you know him, once he gets something in his head, it's hard to get him to change course, close quote. Mr. Jacob, when Dr. Eastman wrote, once he gets something in his head, it's hard to get him to change course. Did you understand the he in that email to refer to the president of the United States? I did. Uh, And Mr. Jacob, did you hear from Dr. Eastman further after the riot had been quelled? And if so, what did he ask? Late that evening, after the joint session had been reconvened, Um, The vice president had given a statement to the nation saying that violence was not going to win, freedom wins. 
um, and that the people were going to get back to doing their work. Um, later that evening, um, Mr. Eastman emailed me to point out that, in his view, the vice president's speech uh, to the nation um, violated the Electoral Count Act, that the Electoral Count Act had been violated because the debate on Arizona had not been completed in two hours. Um, of course, it couldn't be since there was an intervening riot of several hours. Um, <clears throat> and that the speeches that the majority and minority leaders had been allowed to make also violated the Electoral Count Act because they hadn't been counted against the debate time. And then he implored me, now that we have established that the Electoral Count Act um, isn't so sacrosanct as you have made it out to be, I implore you one last time, can the Vice President please do what we've been asking him to do these last two days, suspend the joint session, send it back to the states. Oh, imagine he did do that. <laughs> that was really what you call the final act, wasn't it? Yeah. It was at that point, it was very, it became apparent that the game was up because that was the last desperate call. And then it became even more desperate because then the mob was unleashed on everybody. I wonder how they're going to make a film about this in Hollywood. But how, how are they going to tell the story? Are they going to try and portray Trump as a sympathetic character? But yet you see what's really, I don't know. I just, yeah, I think it would be, yeah, I look forward to the Hollywood film because I feel like that's when the Americans are truly going to get it. I'm surprised how they don't get it already. I mean, I'm sure a lot have. And the, all the indications are that um, with the various, um, you know, research they've done into this, the indications are that um, a small number of Republicans have been rather moved by the outcomes of the investigations and a number of them have been scratching their heads thinking you know we didn't see this coming we can't believe this actually happened um extraordinary but still there is a core group that remain unmoved and that core group is ultimately the group that's going to bring Trump himself down, I believe, because they will turn on him when he's unable to deliver what he's promised them. They will ultimately turn on him. But, you know, we are all wishing that time would <laughs> come sooner rather than later. However, there are innocent people who have been suffering, Dave, yeah, mightily under uh, some of the fake Trump news that he and his aides have been circulating. And one such person we know has been the former Georgia, Georgia election. election yeah. yeah. And uh, perhaps we could conclude with the final part. For me doing my job, same thing I've been doing forever. Your mother also told the select committee about how she had to leave her own home for her safety and go into hiding. 
after the FBI told her that it would not be safe for her there before January 6th and until the inauguration. Let's listen to a clip of her story in her own words. Around the week of January 6th, the FBI informed me that I needed to leave my home for safety. Um, And I left my home for safety around that time. Understood. How, how long did you stay out? Did you, you know, remain outside of your home for your own safety? I, I stayed away from my home for approximately two months. It was horrible. I felt homeless. I felt, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe this person has caused this much damage to me and my family um, to have to leave my home that I've lived there for 21 years. And, you know, I'm having to have my neighbors watch out for me, you know, um, and I have to go and stay with somebody. It was hard. It was horrible. And um, your conversation with the FBI about needing to leave your home for your your own safety or perhaps recommending it, do you remember, was there a specific threat that prompted that, or was it the accumulation of, of threats that you had received? What prompted it was um, was getting ready to January 6th was about to come, and they did not want me to be at home because of all the threats and everything that I had gotten. They didn't want me to be there in fear of, you know, the people would come into my home and I had a lot of that. So they didn't want me to be there just in case something happened. I asked, how long am I going to have to be at home? They said, at least until the inauguration. Ms. Moss, I understand that people once um, showed up at your grandmother's house. Uh, Tell us about that experience. Um, I received a call from my grandmother. This woman is my everything. I've never even heard her or seen her cry ever in my life. And um, she called me screaming at the top of her lungs like, Shay, Shay, oh my gosh, Shay, just freaking me out, saying that um, there were people at her home and they, um, you know, they knocked on the door, and of course she opened it and seeing who was there, who it was, and they just started pushing their way through, claiming that they were coming in to make a citizen's arrest. They needed to find me and my mom. They knew we were there. Um, and she was just screaming and, and didn't know what to do, and I wasn't there so you know i just felt so helpless and so horrible for her and she um was just screaming i told her to close the door don't open the door for for anyone and um you know she's a 70 something i won't say year old woman and she she doesn't like having restrictions she wants to answer the door she likes to get her steps in walking around the neighborhood and I had to tell her, like, you can't do that. You you have to be safe. Um, you know, she would tell me that at night um, people would just continuously send 
pizzas over and over to her home, um, you know, and they were expecting her to pay for these large amounts of pizzas. And, and she went through a lot that she didn't um, have to. And once again, it, it made me just feel so horrible. In addition to the personal impact this experience has had on you and your family, one of the things that I find most disturbing is how these lies discourage longtime election workers from continuing to do this important work. Tell us, if you would, of the other election workers shown in that State Farm Arena video and their supervisors, how many are still election workers in Fulton County? Um, there is no permanent election worker or supervisor in that video that's still there. And did you end up leaving your, leaving your position as well? Yes, I, I left. Ms. Moss, I want to thank you for coming in to speak with us and to thank you for your service uh, to our democracy. What we have just played is a truly horrible and appalling sample, but just a sample of the things that were said about you and your mother following the election. I want to say how very sorry I think we all are for what you've gone through, and tragically, you're not alone. Other election workers around the country have also been the subject of lies and threats. No election worker should be subject to such heinous treatment just for doing their job. With your permission, I would like to give your mother the last word. Yes. We're just going to play the tape. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere. Do you know how it feels to have the President of the United States to target you. The President of the United States is supposed to represent every American, not to target one, but he targeted me, Lady Ruby, a small business owner, a mother, a proud American citizen who stand up to help Fulton County run an election in the middle of the pandemic. Thank you, Ms. Moss. Thank you, Ms. Freeman, or as America now knows her, Lady Ruby, for your service to Fulton County, Georgia, our country, and our democracy. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. And there's the consequence. And again, how many others that you don't hear from? Absolutely, Dave. I found that last statement to be very powerful. Um, the isolation she must feel, as, as she say, a mother and a, and a woman and a businesswoman at that, doing a job which she thought her county and her country would be proud of her for doing. All because her daughter passed her a ginger mint. <laughs> Bloody horrible sounding thing, anyway. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It's a ginger mint. Right. Oh my God. Hello, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't you? Know, oh, sorry. I don't know what happened. It flicked me off. It did, didn't it, for, for a moment? Yeah. Um, oh. Well, that's time the is US. up against us. Yeah, well, that's from the US. The well, the only one really <laughs> worth discussing is: Are you looking forward to having Prime Minister Rishi Dishi Sunak 
or Prime Minister Liz, 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 please trust me. Please trust me, did you say? Please trust me. Uh, well, I think the, I think the results probably could have been predicted. Um, however, I suppose that it was a, you know, it was touch and go as to whether it'd be Penny Mordant or and and Sunni, um, uh, but uh, I I mean Liz seems to have been a, you know the one making steady progress throughout the whole process and she's now arrived and I think there is a lot of thinking that she may may be the winner of this this process because it's um it's clear that there are a lot of people uh, um, a lot of um conservatives in the country um members of the conservative party who probably would like a a strong white woman maybe at the helm we d i don't know it's it's still it's still so hard to say and i often try to pit them against starmer i don't, i really cannot i ca I, I just, I, I, no, I don't know what get to get excited by him. No, I just, I, I really don't know what to think. I really don't know. And I suppose my attitude now is a bit like um, um, Doris Day. Her case, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. <laughs> both, both will be awful. But the thing is, like, Rishi Sunak is still committed to privatising Channel 4. I mean, talk about your priorities, eh? And then the pair of them today have come out and said that they're going to expand the Rwanda policy. I mean, talk about more of the same. You could have it's, had Tom Tugendhat. It's so, it's so difficult to know what... I mean... Uh, looking at them both, my my own personal feelings is that I suppose Liz Trust at least has got quite a lot of experience on her side um, in in office. I mean, she's held high office and held them for some time now, whereas Richie Sunak hasn't really. It's all right. He's got working class friends, does or not working class, as he says. <laughs> Well, let's treat ourselves. Let's treat ourselves because I think Liz Trust is going to win, right? I just think that the the what do you call it? The propaganda has fallen through because I spoke to my like person I use as my Tory kind of benchmark and said, "Oh, which one are you supporting, Liz Trust? Why? We don't like backstabbers. They're <laughs> they're, they're painting Rishi as the backstabber. So anyway, forget about Rishi for a second. This is Liz Trust visiting a school, and the kids um, are very honest. When you become prime minister, do me a favour and evict him. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> oh, he will have to move out, you know, at some point. But not just yet. 
do you think that the victory will be substantial or do you because what this they're talking about 160,000 at the moment yeah and 80 percent of them are like you know upper class workers you know they do the marketing categories a b c d e like this uh-huh, uh-huh. i was looking at something this morning and 80 percent of them are like the a b and c category mainly older white males <laughs> It looks We're going to vote like for either a woman or a non-white man. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yes. But not that that matters. Competency is what we care about here. It is indeed, but, you know... None I, of I, the above. None, yeah. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, okay, let's put it this way. My heart tells me that it would be Listras. My head tells me that they may take a chance with Richie Sunak because, you know, I mean, he's a true blue Tory um, and he's been consistently that. Whereas with Liz Truss, she's a, a de- defector from the Liberal Democrats tick party. She began I was like, going to play that clip where she basically says, let's abolish the monarchy. Have you seen it? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> have, a Google, have a Google, guys. Have a Google. It's good. Well, Dave, we've come to the end. Yes. And you're going so to gonna play have... us out with something I'm sure that's going to be very appropriate. It but also, you must tell us a little bit about um, the summer break that we're also going to be taking. Yes, we're going to have a little hiatus. We're going to enjoy some sunshine. Or find air conditioning, one of the two. Either <laughs> either is appropriate, especially considering I think today's gonna be 30, and it's like, yeah, this is just this is fine. Not 40 again, where you're just breathing in hot air. Anyway, in aid of the summer, and also the fact that the January 6th committee will return for part two uh, in September. We're finishing off with the wonderful Vivaldi summer. See you soon, Des. And you, Dave.